Guys, what should I do about my bags? Samantha. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, oh, look at this chocolate. Oh, 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 oh my gosh. In front of everyone. Have you guys heard of Candyman? Fuck this. I changed my mind. I'm not going to do it. Don't be a pussy. Why not? It's a warm and wonderful oh, thing. Oh, for Ari information. Fine. Okay, ready? Candyman. <laughs> All at once, dumbass. Candyman. 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 Not today. Not today. Two more times. Candyman. One more. Candyman. Well, we're still alive, so. What's going on, everyone? I'm he and I'm Jay. You're listening to Host of Horrors, show where we discuss and review horror films based off of predetermined themes of the month. Jay, hey, we made it. We made it to the last <laughs> film of Black Thread the month, and I feel so so happy, mainly because we've explored a lot these past few weeks. So we explore just all kind of different you know, connections between horror and black film directors and just how little we have, but how much we have, like, as, you know, connections from, like, the Spike Lee connections to Jordan Peele connections and just, like, how how close, close-knit black horror is to each other. It's um It's great to see that our final film, goes for sim- something similar but something different and what i mean by that is that we finally 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 isn't this our first film with a female director yes yes it is yeah our yeah. first film with a, a female director and a black female director so that's like really really cool a so, record holding black female director she's the first female black director uh director to break the box office so opening weekend, she made $22.3 million during COVID. During a Panini Press, y'all. That's crazy. Yeah. And isn't like, I think Candyman is probably one of the highest grossing R-rated films of all time, I think. Um, I think like Deadpool and uh, there's one other Joker that outdo probably. it. Yeah, Joker. But it, it, it is it is up there. It is definitely up there. So we have a record-breaking, hopefully somewhat, sometime soon award-winning, more award-winning the uh, female director, who obviously has like a lot of ex- different, you could say, I guess, perspectives to say. Oh, she's got talent, a hundred percent. Oh yeah, she has a lot of talent, and coming from her debut, which I think 2018's, if I remember correctly, is Little Boots. I think that's the name of her 2018 film, her debut. Little Woods. Little Woods. Little Woods. So that was her 2018 uh, award-winning debut film. 
was a festival darling and i think it's a pretty good film i know i've seen it a few times like i've seen it i need to like actually pay attention to it because i don't really pay attention to it but you know it's because it's, it's me but going from little woods to this film to her future marvel mcu debut film coming out i think later this year if not next year in the form of the marvels i am deeply deeply excited to see what more she has to do i was hoping i was hoping she was going to do something other than a mcu movie like kind of test herself a little bit because i don't know like i'm just being honest like there's not a whole lot you can do without marvel being like you know you have to do this and that well i mean look at chloe Zhao. look at the eternals at the at eternals that one that one was the very divisive coming from an indie darling so we it's have still our, an MCU movie though. It, it ticks MC- all the it, it checks all the boxes. It That's the, all the boxes. That's what I have a problem with MCU is like mm. even though you have someone with an artistic viewing like mm. uh, like Zhao, she can only do so much before Marvel's like okay, but you have to add this and you have to have this and you also got to add this before every single movie, no matter how creative the director could have made it, it's going to be a Marvel movie true i that hate is, that that is indeed true especially with the formula i am excited to see what her directing style works how her directing style works with mcu because a lot of people have low-key been dissing nia DaCosta, the director of Candyman, because of the fact that this film is also has the jordan peele connection as it's produced by monkey paw which is jordan peele's production company and the fact that the story was written by jordan was it, peele. it was a story or was a screenplay screenplay is both jordan peele let me see jordan peele jordan peele when rosenfield and nia DaCosta, but all three wrote the mm-hmm. story um and it is a jordan peele production so i feel like a lot of people went into it with the assumption this is a jordan peele film mm. how Ever, because we've watched Get Out recently, mm-hmm. and because I've seen Us recently, not like super recently, but like within the last couple of months I've seen it, this tonally and visually is a completely different movie. This is, just looking at it, just the the, the way she filmed it, the way she directed everything, mm-hmm. this is not a Jordan Peele film. This is Nia DaCosta all the fucking way. So if you like the visuals, if you like the way it looks, and if you like the tone of this film, it's all her. You know, 100%. Hearing that makes me so, so happy. No, I mean, it's true, (laughs) because Jordan Peele has a certain way that he does hard. Now, I may be wrong when he comes out with Nope, but just going off us and uh get out it has a comedic undertone to everything even though there is a serious horror theme to it there is a comedic overtone he writes his horror just like he writes comedies i mm. feel like this nowhere near it has comedy in it but to me it's more that realistic everyday this is how people talk comedy mm. not you know you know the bombastic kind of yeah very spectacle-esque 
kind of stuff. That yeah, well, you us. know, the guy beating the dude, uh, beating his doppelganger into the water and killing him with a, a boat motor and then going, yes, at the end. Not that kind of comedy. Just, uh-uh, black people don't don't summon things. That kind of <laughs> comedy. That's, you know, it's in it, but it's not, you know, it's, yeah. it's totally different. And that's what I like about this film is once you see it, yeah, you may, like, people may have assumed it's a Jordan Peele film just with a different director. You watch this movie, Jordan Peele just produced it. That was it. Mm. Everything about this film is all Nia DaCosta, and I love that. So, I mean, even going from the opening credits, like just seeing the seeing the Universal logo inverted, seeing how they filmed skyscrapers going up and then inverted that you know, to make it look like it's upside down. It's so visually stunning what she does in this movie. I really do like the fact that with everything being mirrored, mm-hmm. it it does set the it sets the tone honestly from the get go, mm-hmm. and I remember seeing in theaters. I was like, "Was this a mistake? Wait, <laughs> like, wait, did they? Did, was this a, a bad cut of the film?" So I was I was just confused from that point. And then the more you watch this film, the more you realize that all of it's intentional. Everything in this film, I think, is way more intentional upon multiple viewings than just the first one because this would be like the third time i've seen this film so this will be my second time i want to bring up a very important issue because it was an issue i had when i first watched it all right and it is an issue that a lot of reviewers seem to have about this film mm. the on the nose theme okay so if you don't know by now, if we haven't already mentioned it, we're talking about, I don't know how long it's already into the podcast. Well, I'm, I'm sure they got the hint. We got the hint. <laughs> so, of course, we're reviewing 2021's Candyman, or I like, I'm going to probably call him Seaman, directed by Nia DaCosta, and, you know, produced by Jordan Peele, and, yeah. yeah it, it stars Yaya Adul Mateen. And Tiana Paris? Yes, Tiana Paris. Um, she did great, by the way. I'm going to talk about great her once we girl. get into the plot because yeah. I have things to say. Of course, good things, but I have things to say about her. But, but continue with what you're about to say. So a lot of people had issues with uh, the fact that the theme of the movie is so on the nose. And I'm not going to lie, that was a big issue I had watching it the first time. Well, especially when they sit there and they do the whole art should be a visual interpretation. You know, you shouldn't have to explain art. Yet here they are in the movie explaining everything about the theme you should be getting from the movie. Mm. I had an issue with that. And a lot of people seem to have an issue with that. However, after we watched Bones, which is a movie that was made 20 years before this one and had pretty much the exact same thematic theme and wasn't heavy-handed, I I think, yeah, we kind of fucking deserve some handy-handedness because if we're still having to be taught this exact same message 20 years from now, 
then yeah, you know, we kind of need to be hit in the fucking face with it, evidently. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I got, and it, it's only because we watched Bones, honestly. I probably would have still had the exact same issues, because I still have kind of an issue with the fact that it is so heavy-handed, but I'm There's also... Yeah, I'm also of the same opinion that, you know, we've been, or black directors, black artists have been trying to preach this this message, and it's not coming across, evidently. So I, I have a newfound appreciation for why it is a little heavy-handed. Honestly, with these films that we watched this past week spanning over 30 years, and we're still talking about it, I, I, I agree. Like, the theming should be heavy-handed a little at least a little bit like not like we should be like oh we're holding we're like holding the viewer's hand the whole time but i i'm kind of of the opinion where the connotations between the gentrification the art the is what how am i gonna say this there's so much affluence and so much like black excellence that is already like ex- like being shown in this film because you don't really see like black artists like black visual artists get recognition in this way and as much as like race doesn't shouldn't play an issue into it i feels like they've inserted the is- the topic of race when it comes to everything in a way where is very integral to the story, to the lore, and to this plot of Candyman right now. And how everything from before translates to the now. And while all of the later themes that kind of get brought up with everything with the heavy policing and all of that, while it still gets, you know, I'm not going to say it gets old. Well, it does get old, having to constantly talk about the police brutality and the over-policing of certain neighborhoods and whatnot. It's really good to see how we've been able to, like, like, black folks have been able to just kind of, like, move forward from that and still have remembrance where we came from. Because, you know, talking about the film... There are so many different topics of gentrification of Cabrini Green, of that, which I think is a really actually is an actual neighborhood in Chicago. If not, I remember correctly, not by name, not by name, but yes, where they filmed it at is uh, even the first one, Candyman, uh, nineteen ninety one. I think that's when it came out. Mm-hmm. Even that was filmed at an actual location in Chicago. So even though it's not Cabrini Green as like the actual name, the effects that gentrification has had on chicago and also all across the country is still felt so like that speaks a lot to me and the fact that we've been able to have this concept of like an artist like a visual artist who like is gaining reputations in the art world and a art curator like you don't really see these kinds of careers with black people in the media so it was really great to see this kind of black excellence in this way i know that was very long-winded that's kind of my thing but (laughs) i really like that while i still agree with how a little bit on the nose uh everything is but 
it, it's 2022. Yeah. And we're still talking about it, like you said, so... Like I said, it bothered me at first because I, I, I will be the first one to admit I'm a film snob. Like I will pick apart a movie in a fucking heartbeat. There's movies that I absolutely love that I, I know there's problems with it, and I will tell you the problem with it and still be like, but I like it. Mm-hmm. So watching the movie the first time, yeah, there were a lot of issues I had with it. I thought it was a good film. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I gave it a four star rating. But like, I had issues with it. And I guess I still have small issues with it, but I've grown to appreciate it, especially after doing this month with you and Wendell. It just, (laughs) something about, like, the heavy-handedness of the message, it doesn't bother me anymore, because it's like, yeah, if we're still having to be told these things over 20, 30, 50 years, maybe, yeah, we do need a little heavy-handedness, you know? And it all starts out even from the beginning. So from the very beginning, we get talked about the about the lore of you know Candyman, about the story about the gentrification of the area, and just how things have kind of changed, but not really changed over from nineteen seventy seven to nine to twenty nineteen, as when the film takes place. Yeah. So. You, you get your first little thing with uh, Sherman, I think it was Sherman, his name. Um, with uh, Billy as uh, he, um, oh god. So, the Shadow Puppets. The Shadow Puppets, my god. Yeah, cause it, that was Burke, right? Burke as a kid? That was Burke as a yeah. kid, yes. So, I have a lot to say about that. <laughs> so, basically we get introduced to Burke, which you like you, you get confused but you realize this is kind of like a thing that happens a lot at the very beginning or they, they introduce somebody and it's like they don't really know its significance until like way later yeah and then you meet the main character yeah it's but... like it's happened like almost every movie we watch does that forget out <laughs> <laughs> but, but um we yeah. uh you know we get introduced to billy in the form of the shadow puppets and it's like playing cops and robbers and it's all like hey freeze which <laughs> even back then it was like uh, I feel like even though stuff like this happened they don't want to talk about it so it was like seeing stuff like that I was like Ooh. yeah and that was the if you think about it because it was after it's briefly mentioned um, uh, when Bert talks about the previous Candyman mm-hmm. the cops and Robert chasing down a guy and then shooting him that was the Candyman before Sherman Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that until this watching. Um, <laughs> it's it's, uh, but yeah, Candyman. Mm-hmm. So Sherman um, was a guy who had a like a prosthetic uh, hook as a mm-hmm. hand. He lost his hand, so he uses a hook, one of the little grabby hooks. And he would go around in his neighborhood of Cabrini Green and give candy to the little kids. And everything was fine until one day. A razor blade was found in a candy that a little white girl got. Since then, the cops have been all over the place looking for Because Burke even says, like, cops hardly ever came around here unless, unless they were looking. Some, yeah, taking, taking someone. someone down. So, basically, you get introduced to Sherman in a form of Billy, who goes down to, um, do laundry. To do laundry and... On the way there, he passes by these couple of cops who are looking for this dude. He's old, and Billy just, like, looks and just turns away, which, you know, bitch, me too. <laughs> <laughs> and 
you can tell the cops are just kind of like, okay, whatever about this shit. So he goes down to do the laundry. Everything is like weird because you see there's a big ass hole on one side that like the girls that were in there just either didn't notice or just ignored. And Lily's all like, uh, okay, weird. And so, you know, he does his laundry, puts it all in, and then he comes out and some weird shit happens with the door. Well, it's oh, wait, wait, it's wait, the wait. first it's the first instance that Nina does with uh reflection. Because uh-huh. when he opens the door to go into the laundry room, it's just that hole. Mm-hmm. And he goes in, does the laundry. When he comes out and shuts the door, you see the hole, but now Sherman's standing in it. And when I tell you, the use of mirrors, use of reflections, man, it makes me want to sing Christina Aguilera's reflection from Mulan right now. <laughs> but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> you know, my joke of the day. <laughs> but yeah no that scene was I, I just realized how phenomenal that scene is because it it does the reveal in such I feel like a great way mm-hmm. and it introduces all of the elements reflections the candy man candy as a whole the um, introduces Burke right off the bat before it, you even know it's Burke. Introduces Burke off and the way. It, and it, it, it shows you Cabrini Green. I hate to say back in its heyday, but back before the gentrification. Um, when I would say before the gentrification, I think it was like still in while well, before it even became more rundown. Yeah, it was 1970, so mm-hmm. it was you know it it was the hood. It was like it was the projects at mm-hmm. that point. Um. Because you mean you, I mean you got holes in the wall and and you got graffiti all over the place. So it, it it's in that process of getting to 2019. The way that it was filmed, it was filmed the warm, which gives the similar nostalgic vibe that Bones did whenever it shows everything from the 1970s on the 2000s. So it feels like uh, it, it feels no nostalgic in a way where you can tell that this is old like old timing yeah so it, but, like yeah i like that i like the way it was filmed a lot but so. where bones everything looked prosperous this just feels no, run down this, yeah. everything feels like it's not dilapidated yet but it's on the cusp of it yeah it's getting there the communities are already starting to die out yeah. and i think this incident was more of a catalyst for everything else that happened i it, don't think it was a catalyst honestly i mean i hate to say this but i think this was just a tuesday for them i mean i hate to put it that way but when you really think about like the 1991 candy man it's the same way True. like uh there was uh helen lyle got beat up by the guy who they called candy man like he was taking on the persona of candy man mm. but he was actually just a drug dealer and no one batted an eye i was just like yeah you shouldn't have been there like you're a white woman, you shouldn't have been there. That Fuck kind of around thing. Around and find out. So I mean, I hate to put it that way, but the police because what happens is Sherman comes out of the hole, tries to give uh Billy Bobby Billy like, Billy, yeah, Billy candy, candy, and candy he screams. Cream. He gets scared, which gets the cops down there, and the cops beat Sherman to death. And that yeah, that was very when you realize what happened. Uh, it it just adds a whole other layer of like. 
nuance and Loki disgust. Yeah, because a couple the actions of, of everything that happened. Because yeah. a couple of weeks later, they found there was more candy with razor blades in it. So proving that it wasn't Sherman. Sherman wasn't the one that did it. But with this, Sherman and Billy get added on to the lore of Candyman. Mm-hmm. And well, not, it, not it really, feels... not really Billy, but Sherman. Well, yeah, I think Billy's the... just what caused Sherman's death. Well, that now that's trauma. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I just really think that um, and what I mean by kind of added to the lore is that like not him being Candyman, but it's like it's like the cult of Candyman, kind of like that aspect. It was like he's he's almost like a one man cult yeah. of Candyman that are the main character Anthony basically kind of gets succumbed to yeah so i don't know like the billy aspect's a little different especially when we get to him in the future which yeah we will talk about (laughs) so this ends up going into like i think one of the best opening scenes of 2021 because of the fact that it was very simple just you know like you can tell that it was like literally just filmed you know, with the lens up into the sky. Yeah, it, it was like they took a um a uh, they took a truck or something and like either a the truck camera. or because they did a lot of swooping. So mm. a drone—that's the word I'm yeah. trying to think. It's like they took a drone with a camera on top of it and filmed that way. But then when they went into the editing room, they took that footage and turned it upside down, and then just like made it so it was like felt so weird, like everything is either going into the clouds, into the fog that was up there. Or it was like, it was really cool. Yeah, I thought it was really cool. Because to me, it tripped me out because at first I thought like it was just buildings going down to the ground and the ground was covered by fog. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that looks pretty cool. And then all of a sudden you see a building smaller than the uh, uh, skyscrapers. And you see the roof of it and you're like, whoa, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. It kind of throws you for a loop and it's just, it, mwah. It's very simple. And like I said, it already adds to the mood and setting a tone for the rest of the film. So once the that ending sequence is over it swoops down onto troy and his boyfriend mm-hmm. who are walking to his sister's place and you know the whole you know black boyfriend uh black man white man thing when it comes to you know gay relationships or whatever blase blase oh come on they I've were already sweet talked, they were sweet they they had chemistry. This, I, that was I, a really really good. That was a really good couple. It's like realistic. Them. That's mm-hmm. what I love. I hate when Hollywood does stereotypes for gay couples. It pisses me off to no end. And you can tell that Troy is a little bit more of the film one of the two, but it doesn't really. It's not really used at any joking or mocking expense. It just is, and that's what I liked about it. It just kind of normalized it and just like it was. It was, mm-hmm. and that was really cool. So they're heading. Uh, what's his name? Grady, that's his name. That so, was his name? I don't think Grady, they ever even mentioned his they name. Only really, I think they only really mentioned it in passing. Like, I don't, I honestly, I've I never heard remember. that. Yeah, like, I just watched it, and I don't think they ever really did about it. I think it was either said in passing or whatever, but. But they, cool. he, they go to his sister's house, uh, Brianna, and her boyfriend, Anthony. Anthony. So Brianna, as you said, is a curator, and Anthony is her yeah. boyfriend. Who basically came out with artwork that was really, really good a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and ain't really been doing nothing since. Basically, is um, is <laughs> like the Frank Ocean aspect of it. It's like you you release something great and then drop off the face of the earth, 
for but, you know years and years. But, where Frank Ocean made some badass shit and made some money and probably can do that. <laughs> I don't think Anthony made shit on him. But, I think they were just like, yeah, you could be a really good artist if you try hard. And then he was like, well, guess what, bitches? I ain't gonna try hard. And it's, I don't think you. It, it kind of goes into the whole you know artist inspiration thing because like granted the work is amazing that he's doing but i feel like the process of him um making the art was very much you know very much emotionally tied to a lot of things to his blackness to his you know identity to what's going on and i think because of that it take i think i really feel like it it took a lot of out of him which he's kind of like eh, he i I, either that or just really wasn't inspired that i think the inspiration thing was Mm -hmm. it because i mean even the piece that he tried to show um uh what was his name i think clive or carter clive Uh, or carter i think it was clive Clive. the art art director yeah the place that Brianna was working at. The but museum. the the piece that he was trying to show him was mm-hmm. just his original piece, but red. So I think he had no inspiration. It was. I feel like he was just suffering from glorified uh, artist block. Yeah. And I think everything with Sabrina Green was what inspired him to go down this rabbit hole. Yeah, and it's all Troy's fault. <laughs> no, I'm going to be 100% <laughs> honest. It's Troy's fault. Oh my god! It's Troy's fault. He wouldn't have brought up Candyman. It, ooh, the urban nothing would have happened. If would have, I feel like it's like you know, someone gets curious about an urban legend, and I, I, I get it. I do agree that if <laughs> that if it wasn't for the fact that Troy brought it up, he probably would be in this. But it's also that if it wasn't for Troy, Anthony wouldn't have gotten the inspiration to even think about it. Because it feels like... That's fine. Because if he wouldn't have thought about it, him and Brianna probably would have just broken up. And, you know, he would have lived a happy life probably somewhere else, but not dead. Not not a little ghost spirit. I, uh, now he's a little ghost spirit. I mean, honestly, it'll be it's really cool to be a ghost spirit. But <laughs> anyway... I don't, also, I don't I, know. The methods to get there looked really painful. Very painful. <laughs> I would not recommend. Zero out of ten. So this uh kind of talks about the whole gentrification thing because uh Troy's a realtor, of course like a realtor, <laughs> and talks about why this area, the area that they're in right now, which is I think part of Cabrini, yeah, was well, like the part but that got bulldozed over to you know make way for all of the gentrification. Yeah, that because and what I liked is going from the original Candyman, which just it was. Basically, a whole section of the city was Cabrini Green. Mm. And this one, it's just a couple of buildings. Like, it's, it's not a whole lot left. And I like that. That, is that, was, that was one of the few subtle things of, about the message that I really liked. Because unless you know how expansive Cabrini Green was in the original film, when you know that, seeing how small and just a few little buildings are left really hammers in the gentrification mm-hmm. message and it's like it went from a whole subdivision to just the name of a building that you know has the name of the old neighborhood but it's not really the old neighborhood no it's that's, just that's it's just a couple right there it's just a couple of uh buildings like the old line style apartments mm-hmm. and a church and that's it the fact that Bringing up that the place is low key haunted, which honestly, I'm like, I, I 
I can see it being haunted because of everything, because of the lore that Troy was bringing about, you know, everything, like, with Helen Lyle, like, all of that lore, that was, I think, interesting because it it kind of does bring up the whole aspect of, like, oh, this place is haunted, and then introducing Candyman as a concept right then and there in the form of an urban legend, which you may believe, you may not believe. Go either way with that. And then it kind of took the, oh, you're kind of interested, but you kind of believe it. And I do like how Anthony is just kind of like, huh. It's like that little, it's like, it's that plant, that little seed of knowledge that got planted into this whole situation. Well, yeah, I mean, he just, he, boom, interested. It, I mean, piqued his interest right then and there because after the whole dinner and everything about to go to bed he's like god damn she really did chop the head off of a rottweiler <laughs> that shit's wild and i forgot that happened oh yeah no, so it's it's brutal yeah. so like after that it kind of leads into him basically acting on that interest yeah on he- that uh inspiration by going into the old neighborhood yeah he does a lot of research first and actually finds that a little bit of cabrini green is left and he finds the church like what it originally looked like and the painted over version (laughs) that's left that was great storytelling visual storytelling right there and honestly that's also the grad school talking because child myself barely self-taught ass (laughs) like okay i do have my film degree but i'm also like the research that I do in my, you know, screenwriting and all of that is very minuscule until after the fact. Like, I, after, like, I write a copy, then I'm like, oh, wait, let me actually do some research on this stuff. <laughs> so, like, that, I, sh- I need to go to grad school is what this film's saying. Um, <laughs> but I really like the fact that he just did the, re- like, did the research and actually, like, went out to it. Mm-hmm. And you can just tell like the aspects of the gentrification and the dilapidation of the rest of the um neighborhood it feels like they took this area and just said i'm not gonna say fuck it but they painted over it they painted over it trying (laughs) to make it look nice and then it was like too little too late oh it feels like the little bit of community that was left there which is kind of left to die left to rot as they say yeah and it was already too late so they just tried to you know take everything with them mm-hmm. it, i think so well it's it's just whenever you do this gentrification uh process the people that can afford to live there always push the people who live there out because they no longer can afford to live there mm-hmm. it, it's what happens yeah technically you are raising the uh property, property value of the area but by doing that, you're causing the people that currently live there to not be able to live there anymore and forcing them to be homeless. And you wonder why we have a fucking homeless problem. Ooh. Ugh. It's, there's a lot of nuances to <laughs> this aspect of the situation because it is very easy to just assume one thing caused this to happen when it's a whole multitude, a whole system worth of things that causes gentrification to happen and for the it, people who are affected by it you know for in this case primarily black folks and people who are a lower income it's the effects are devastating like who knows where those people were yeah and, or and who it, they are now it can start alive. out 
like it could start out with a good idea. Like you could sit there and think you're doing the right thing by mm-hmm. causing a rundown town that it has no value whatsoever and try to raise it back up. That's a noble thought process. But when you sit there and kick people out because you now own their land because they couldn't afford to own that land anymore, that's when it gets messy. That's when it gets fucked up. It's a thin when line. When you bulldoze history to just plant your own bullshit on top of it, that's when you kind of cross the line. So you could even have gentrification could start with a good idea, but lead to something, you know, I, I hate to say, but like borderline evil. <laughs> Honestly, like all of this reminds me of a certain uh, neighborhood in my, our hometown that constantly constantly goes in and out of it but (laughs) besides the point so we go inside this one building that is kind of like gets like hammered oh but before we get into that we get that ultimate cause of death feasting so oh yeah well it's not his cause of death but it's the catalyst it's what is the actual catalyst (laughs) is the actual catalyst troy's the catalyst but this is kind (laughs) of what causes everything no he goes to take a picture of the church and when he goes to do that a bee stings him on the arm or on the hand those ants like those ants like kill they eat that bird that bird they eat that bird eat that be up i'm like dang yeah quick quick fast and in a hurry mm-hmm. and that bite looks honestly it looks no- <laughs> it looks nothing like a bite and it shouldn't form that fast but like for hollywood's sake that thing was like a honker on mm-hmm. the hand and i was just like Ooh, i know that shit gotta hurt so he goes inside this one building and it's all like dilapidated everything is just a rundown and you get to see this some of this graffiti on the wall what looks like some kind of grotesque figure it looks like the legend of boggy creek yeah it (laughs) it looks (laughs) looks like weird it looks like it did (laughs) it looked like bigfoot or some shit and i feel like that adds on to the whole lore of like the concept of the lore of Candyman as an urban legend because you know you don't really know what Candyman looks like other than like other fact that he has a hook and maybe the coat maybe the coat kind of adds on to it but like the hook is the main thing it's the main draw so just seeing just like this grotesque hulking figure that just you, your eyes get drawn to it, and it adds on to that that urban legend feeling. Yeah, and I think that's the whole thing with Burke's third, like third act twist kind of thing. Uh, is where in the first, and I hate to keep going back to the first one, but the first one kind of ties in a lot to this one. And the first one, there's Candyman graffiti everywhere, mm-hmm. like everywhere. Like there's there's actually a whole building that's basically his shrine. Like, it's really cool. There's a really cool scene where, like, you see Helen go into the wall, and then it cuts over, and you see Candyman's face with his mouth wide open, and then she crawls out of the mouth. It's a really cool scene. Wow. But uh, basically all that's gone now, all you have is, you know, just a few buildings here and there with 
you know, what could easily be mistaken for Bigfoot is <laughs> the graffitied rem- on the wall. It's the remnants of the urban legend, which I also feel like represents a lot of the erasing. Like, gentrification equals erasing history. Yes. So, we get that. He takes a picture, which I think was the reason why, when we went to the theater to see this last year, there was, like, this uh warning that said, oh, this may be sensitive to photosensitive viewers. Oh, yeah, that, no, that was scene, definitely the end with the cops. I, it was both. Ooh. It was both. Bo- that The both of them. That dude, last scene, just sitting, I was like, that was hurtful. Dude, yeah, just sitting here in the house. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. But that first scene, I think that was just one of them, because I, I don't know. I see what they're trying to do with it, but I'm like, I think you could have done that camera flash a little bit better, but that's just me. But whatever. So, he goes outside, and you know, tries to, uh, you know, just walk, and then he gets introduced to other known and Burke, who and, owns a laundromat across the street, and he talks basically starts out from talking about how you know the police uh, don't really you know they they don't really be around these parts unless they're looking for somebody, so, and then they uh, talk about. Well, he he yeah. asked him. He, he asked him though if he needs he, help with anything. He, you know, he knows Burke. You know, just having a laundromat across the street, he has to know a little bit about Cabrini Green. Little did he know, he actually grew up here. So he I mean, asked, he is Cabrini Green. If you want to be real, uh, so I mean, he is now. <laughs> <laughs> so he asked Burke a couple of questions, which leads to the the Sherman. Mm. You, know, we finally get the full story of what happened to Sherman, and. He talks about uh, Helen Lyle and brings up the fact that she was looking for Candyman. That Mm -hmm. she wasn't actually crazy like everyone says. That she was looking for Candyman and actually found him. Which leads to his revelation or his want to know more about Candyman. But yeah, no. I guess I want to kind of take this current moment of time to talk about Coleman Domingo. This motherfucker. He is an actor. And he did a good job. I I think he we'll did an amazing job. I think he did a really great job leading up to the third act. And I guess because like seeing it, how recent like his recent work, because apparently he's done it like a good bit of stuff before, but he's like finally getting his uh recognition from like this and like stuff like his work on Euphoria. And I've recently binge watched Euphoria and see how he uh acts. It's like wow, it's really cool. But um. Yeah. yeah, I think he did a great job acting. And he did a great job acting. Mm-hmm. I don't like his character. His character. We'll, we'll get into that. Uh, I. We'll, we'll get into that. I've touched on it already. There's more I want to talk about with that, though. <laughs> so, basically, uh, Anthony gets inspired with this whole Candyman hubba baloo. And it is the centerfold for his uh summer his, his time to shine for the mm-hmm. summer art gallery that they're doing. And his girlfriend says that he's being a little heavy handed with it, and he says, "But look, I'm very inspired with it." There's like the clar- their clarity is there, even if it's a little depiction of violence and everything that's happened from before, because it was directly inspired by. You know, uh, Burke's incident with Sherman, mm-hmm. and when she got beat the fuck up, yeah, he got beat the fuck up, yeah. And um, Sherman don't look like Sherman no more, no. 
Um, but it, it, even when he does actually do the art display, mm-hmm. he has to sort of explain it. To her. Even she has to explain it to people. I think it's the sort of the kind of sort of the whole concept of like of that because it's like while the pieces are kind of heavy handed and and how they depict like the uh, mix of gentrification and the uh, current police brutality and the just the aspect of you know the danger of the black person and all of that i do think that explaining it which i, I kind of wish they didn't explain it so much but i think it's also like if he didn't explain it in the way that he did because i feel like it was explained in a very nervous way in well, a way where it's like you're like oh i have to impress people or i have to like i feel like i have to be connected or i have to like you know do this and that in order to for people to understand and it's it's i, I well, don't know it, i'm, I'm I, I can't explain it but i i explain it i can't explain it but Storytelling, I get it. Storytelling wise, the way I see it is, it's the same way that I kind of expressed my feelings towards the movie. Um, expect when you have the critic looking at the the wall piece and he's explaining it to her, she says, "Yes, I get it," and she explains it. It's like, "I get it. It's the whole gentrification, artists taking over, yada yada yada." And he goes, "No." That's actually not what it's about. And he explains it to her. It's the same thing this movie's doing. Where it's heavy handed. It is heavy handed. You can get the message from it. But at the same time, you have to sort of be told, be explained what the actual message is. Not through the eyes of your, not through your eyes. Through Mm. a person's eyes who has lived through it. A person's eyes who is currently going through it. Do you think that's a sign of bad storytelling though no if you have to explain it that way i would have said yes when i first watched the movie like the first time i watched the movie Mm. the second time i'm going to say no because of the exact reasons i'm saying i i as a white person don't fully understand the whole gentrification thing going on. The only thing I would understand is like, okay, I grew up in Grand Cane, little tiny small village. If that got bulldozed down and became a big city, I'd be like, oh, well, I remember when that was a stable. It's not the same fucking thing, though. So as her, a white critic sitting there going, oh, I understand. I get what this is supposed to mean. I was doing the same thing when I first watched this movie. Yeah, I get it. I get mm. what it was trying to explain. I it, It's really fucking heavy-handed. I get it. You didn't have to explain it to me. But, yes, you do have to explain it because I'm not seeing it in the same lens that Nia DaCosta's seeing it. Not seeing it in the same lens that Jordan Peele's seeing it. Mm. I'm not seeing it in the same lens that you're seeing it. So, I do believe, yes, for certain audiences, this does have to be explained a certain way. Mm. So if it is a little heavy-handed, it's actually warranted because of that reasoning. And because of that, yes, it is good storytelling. Okay, okay, I get that, I get that. I do think that, um, I I guess I, I, I kind of agree. And... I don't. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Basically, kind of giving a hand to hold, especially when it comes to art. Art is hella fucking subjective, and exploring the art world 
is like <laughs> the equivalent of trying to like you know throw a needle into like a haystack trying to find one it's a very hard thing to kind of really concretely explain unless you you know write it on there and just going into just those scenes with the art show itself even though i think we skipped over a couple scenes but i cannot remember for sure it doesn't matter (laughs) you're right well i would i think we skipped over a scene where you talk about saying it five times yeah, well, I mean, there, it's, it's, when he, it's when he explains, explains his it art, Brie. and he's like, yeah, let's say it five times, and he actually does, in the reflection of the, the of the, of of the not, uh, the reflection of the window looking outside, so, and when he does that, Sherman is yeah, in the back. and I think, so, yeah. Well, I, I, you gotta talk about it, I feel like, because it leads into what happens in the, in after the museum. And all of but that. he explains the piece to the critic. The critic kind of puts him down, and, and that's where he starts drinking a little. Yeah, kind of putting brushes on the side, and I'm like, Grant, I get it, liquid courage. I kind of hate how the pretentiousness, the potential pretentiousness of how art is perceived in the eyes of the people who are claimed to be important, who sees themselves to be important, it comes at the cost of the actual, like, artists themselves because they have to appease these like people who don't they claim they have like these art degrees and all of these like you know exceptional eyes and understandings about society about life about all kinds of things in order to see it in a piece of art well and it's, it's just critics in general like critics any, in general, any critic yeah. in general like i hate the idea of a critic I hate the idea of a critic. I like reviewing and giving your own thoughts on mm-hmm. a film, but it's just your own subjective thoughts. You know, you shouldn't sit there and go, I'm probably not going to watch this movie because a critic I really trust says it's garbage. Who knows? You may actually like it. I mean, honestly, that's how I came up with my list the last, uh, 2021's films last year, if you want to be real. <laughs> but um, I just think that all of it, it it comes at the cost of like the well-being of the artist or the person that's presenting the piece and it just you have to impress so you have to impress those people and it just sucks that you have to that's how the whole art industry works is that you're impressing people in order to you know get further ahead in a career that's how it's going on in the film industry too in almost every creative industry known to man but yeah that I just I hate it. You're constantly, <laughs> you're constantly it. having to impress people that you, think they know. You better feel like than you have to prove yourself, and then because of Anthony's prior accomplishments, there's a, a like a, he has to basically like top he's, that. He's got a standard and to uphold. He has, yeah, he has a standard to uphold, and everyone's like trying to uphold him to his standard. And Clive brings up something about how um about kind of use that. It's like a little bit of nepotism because, you know, of the relationship that, you know, Bree and Anthony have, it feels like it kind of um, is this uh, form of nepotism that kind of gives it uh, like an unfair advantage. 
well, or something like that because he, he is brings a up he brings up shit. the fact that he could have used the spot for a better artist mm-hmm. that she needs to leave work and uh who's fucking her out of it mm-hmm. so yeah there is that and um, then the immediate hypocrisy of it all <laughs> yeah he's fucking his intern right so it's just kind of that like, leads into such a good scene so with that of course you don't they are kind of like taking his work lightly of like everyone else so far has and he he gets drunk and just throws a like throws a warranted hissy fit but throws a hissy fit and brianna's like okay we need to fucking leave and, pissing clive off and you know what though it feels like all the events leading up to like everything that's been going on is like the does it it feels like the relationship is somehow rocky as well because of the uh, fact that there's their lives and livelihoods and careers are kind of intertwined and it almost kind of feels like she's helping him and people around him are kind of like thinking that he's kind of a deadbeat because because of it i know that's those are that's strong language to use but I kind of it kind of go it kind of goes in that direction where they like oh yeah no they, everyone kind of thinks he's deadbeat everyone from everyone from the the critic to her brother Troy mm-hmm. thinks he's washed up you know even Troy after he leaves for the the first dinner scene is like okay get your ass upstairs and start painting okay because my sister's tired of paying for your you know your broke mm-hmm. ass and you know everyone's kind of like dude. You, you little bit of a, a mooch right now. Yeah, mooch and like it kind of feels like she's kind of fed up and I guess embarrassed. I'm gonna say embarrassed. Okay, maybe embarrassed of him because of this. I don't think she is though. I genuinely think she has his back up mm. to a certain point in the film. There, yeah. There's a certain point in the film, but the only reason you know she doesn't have his back at that point is because he gets a little, little cuckoo. I mean, little cuckoo, like Helen. But yeah, no, she she was. Their mm. relationship seemed solid up until he had his own little mental breakdown. True. It, true, it true, just true, seemed true. like everyone else around her. It, it's kind of like, it's kind of like but when it, it's like when other. It feels like when other people get into your head about what your relationship should be. Yeah, and it you that kind of succumb. Because, you know, you're letting outside forces dictate how you feel about a certain person, not the person that you, you know, you care for. So it feels like a, there's another, just a, yet another nuance to this film that I feel like I was able to pick up on, on, on multiple watchings. Yeah. And, and it just, that just kind of shows that when she's pulling him away and that long take, not, well, not long take, that very extreme wide shot of them getting on the train but you can see that she is kind of like you know away from him mm-hmm. away from anthony while he's kind of like you know in his like little tipsy drunk mind and there's a storm in the background mm-hmm. indicating a storm is coming a storm Ooh. is coming honey <laughs> but so no the, oh my god the, and then it leads to clive and the intern dying was yeah. so good so like that's so before, good <laughs> they're kind of you know, taking his work lightly, so there's like, oh yeah, what not if- even they're not taking it lightly. They are shitting all over his work, mm-hmm. like not, they're just shitting all, all over it. And they're about to go to sexy little boom boom town, and she, for whatever reason, white women, she goes and starts saying Candyman in the mirror. Oh my fucking god! Of course she would do it, and then not <laughs> and Clive didn't help with like 
her like eventually egging her on like the horny dumbass he is can she finally says Candyman the fifth time and she then, gets her throat slit and then man, and then Clover's like what the fuck is this <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, all you can t- see is like looking into different reflections of the pieces and the wow. um in the, the projection, it's mm. so oh, it's so well done. Even the reflection from the the glass from the office, mm. I and mean, that's all you see is his. Re- he you only see him in the reflection, mm. which is so cool and unique. Because in the other Candyman movies, it's your you see it in the eyes of the person who summoned him. So they can Helen Lyle, for example, mm. can see Candyman, but no one else can. In this film, it's almost as if it's almost as if Anthony summoned him so he can see the Candyman, just like Brianna can see Candyman at the end of the film because she summoned that Candyman, mm-hmm. but no one else can. They can only see him in the reflection because that's the world he lives in. He lives in, like, the mirror dimension. But, but it's also, like, in this iteration, it's like, yeah, you summon him, but then they kill you. But it's like, who determines who he doesn't kill and who he does kill? That's kind of the other thing. Who like what determines who should be killed? Yeah, it's because it's it, a little ambiguous. Because like in the first one, Helen reminds um the original Candyman of his lover. Uh, we get the story mm-hmm. in this one. The, the he was a painter and he fell in love with like a governor's daughter. Yeah, Helen reminds him of her, like kind of like a reincarnation thing. So that's oh. why. That's why he doesn't kill her. I think Anthony doesn't die by summoning Candyman because he is the chosen child from the first film. Mm. He's the one that's going to take the new mantle of Candyman. So basically in a way of, you know, in a way of reincarnation. Yes. And Brianna doesn't die because same thing. Anthony is now the new Candyman. So he has a soft spot for Brianna. So I I think that's why she doesn't die and the other people do because they summoned Candyman either out of curiosity or or you know a, a longing or a need for him where other people were doing it out of uh, stupidity. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> out of like dumb curiosity. Dumb curiosity. Um, but so oh, this badass killing is so good that include. That man, my foot hurt after seeing it. I did not. Okay, I thought he just slashed like his Achilles heel. No, mm. he like hung on to him mm. through his freaking Achilles heel. Yeah, his tendon. His, like he hooked into the the knee and then, or not the knee, but the the heel, and then lifted him up and dragged him by the fucking tendon. And just seeing, ah! and seeing like how he got dragged onto like the intern's like side. And then go, got lifted up. And I can't remember if he's like neck got slashed or something else. But like, no, his gut. His, from the gut up got slashed. Oh, God. I didn't know it was like he got gutted. Yeah. Oh. Which, leads, then, which leads to my second favorite scene where Brianna finds the bodies. Mm-hmm. They're dead. And you hear about it on the news. news. Anthony's sitting there watching the news, and the news brings up the fact that these two bodies died after the uh after, after the opening night after the opening night of um uh critically acc- or not critically acclaimed but up of and the com- summer show up and coming artist uh-huh. Anthony McCoy with his piece "Say My Name" and he's just like 
gets this big ass smile on his face and he's like, they said my name. They said my name. And Brianna and Troy both are like, the fuck is wrong with you? And I was like, that was, <laughs> that scene I thought was the little bit of comedy that was, I felt was, was a Jordan Peelism in a way because Jordan Peele, he injects those little bits of humor into this like very fucked situation. And he's like, damn, he really, that was, a, it was literally his first thought but i think it's like kind of longing that longing to be recognized mm-hmm. for work that kind of like drove that part i was like okay that's that was funny no i mean honestly it's understandable mm-hmm. i mean hell his name's out there <laughs> kind of yeah. fucked up hell but his name's yeah. out there and then just like that oh my god what does it lead to next I mean, Ooh. <laughs> Leads to a couple of things. One major thing is like his hand. His hand starts getting infected yeah. all the way up to his arm and shit. It gets gross. It's really gross. But it also leads to um him going to the critic. The critic so, wants to meet with him. So with that, I think he was he got inspired even because of all of these events that just added more inspiration to his up- to more art pieces not that explores Candyman. he does explore Candyman a little bit he goes to the library and he finds like recordings of helen lyle and stuff mm-hmm. like that and he starts painting in his studio which you don't see the art it was like the month mon- it's like kind of like a montage of it and then you go into a lot like you don't you don't see it in, uh, until later but like he is painting in his studio you just don't mm-hmm. know what it is yet and um that library scene is really cool i like that yeah because that's where he sees Candyman for the first time in the elevator mm-hmm. that was a cool scene because he's in an elevator that's all mirrors and like it it stops he, he starts going down and then all of a sudden it stops it gets jammed and a piece of candy falls down by his foot he's like the hell he gets cut he gets cut because he opens the candy and the candy has raised blade in it and then blood starts dropping from the ceiling and he looks up, and all you see is Sherman. Sherman. And bloody face, bloody claw, that dope-ass coat. I love Sherman's coat. This scene kind of made me sink in how real this actually is, because it may not be real to, you know, whoever's around, because, you know, ultimately, and after that, you see these little white kids, like, the college students look at him like, what the fuck? <laughs> while he gets up and just try to like stroll out of there like nothing ever happened but like it kind of goes to his it it seems how how this whole subject kind of got to his head and it also did not help the fact that he was listening on in on helen's um recordings of what mm-hmm. she of her you know observations of the um neighborhood which described you know why they never really called the police on anything or why all of these acts of violence were happening and why there is almost kind of it adds nothing more but more to the urban legend of Candyman and the fact that like this that was their I'm not gonna say prote- it's not protective but kind of like their it's like their thing their it's like their uh what's it called it's what? almost like a scapegoat in a scapegoat sense where also. Morality story, that's it. Their morality story. In well, a way, it's like, it's like it kind of uses him to keep kids from acting up. 
It's like, oh, a Candyman's gonna get you. Kind of like that shit. I mean, yeah, but it's also, like, it's, it's something to put blame on. Like, it, uh, again, in the first movie, a baby goes missing. It's Candyman. I blame, a yeah. woman dies. Uh, it's Candyman. You know, anything bad that happens in Cabrini Green, it's Candyman. Mm-hmm. Almost in a way to, like, shelter themselves from reality. And shield from, you kind of, like, shield themselves from the reality of, like, was going on around them it was like mm-hmm. it was like it's a buffer of the violence that's going on that is in the hands of their own people yeah. and outside forces as well so he gets a phone call and he's supposed to meet up with the critic the one that was shitting all over his art piece and uh and not answering like, his mom's calls to them yeah not answering mm-hmm. his mom's call which that oh is I, I kind of want to wonder, like, why is the other reason why he hasn't been, like, hasn't been, like, really responsive to his mom? Maybe does he know that something's up, or is he just kind of, like, been so inspired that he just kind of, like, had a tunnel vision that he just kind of, like, forgot about his mom? Yeah, it happens. It ha- Yeah, it does. Uh, it, 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 it happens. It happens. But, um, yeah, we get to be in another cool scene which well, brianna, i love the set design of that scene and and brianna tells him you know we have a dinner be there at the dinner seven o'clock mm-hmm. do not be late so don't he, fuck this yeah, okay, don't that's, fuck. that's the part that i really thought of the whole embarrassment thing it's like she she has his best interest but at the same time she's advancing in the art world and he's you can tell that she kind of feels like she he's he's kind of bringing her down mm. in a way which kind of sucks because they like they're supposed to build each other up but it's like there's a way that was like he it's kind of it's not it, it's not connecting the way you think and that sense of loneliness that comes from that is shown i feel like in that very long take of him zooming of the uh zooming in on him and like you know walking across like all that part of chicago where, you know, it's very bustling, very busy, very metropolitan, metropolitan, I mean, and it's like, it's a far cry from the hood aspect that he was in earlier in Cabrini, and like, that uh, remnants of Cabrini, mm-hmm. so it's just kind of like, I like that, the way that it works, I just really like the way, I like the way that the camera's used in a damn film. Oh yeah, no. So fucking much. Nia DaCosta fucking kills it with this, but yeah, he goes to the critic's apartment where what I really liked is how she showed how close yet distant everyone is in this apartment building. Mm-hmm. So as he's getting closer and closer to the uh, critic's uh, apartment. The buzzing. No. I like the buzzing. Well, but it's him passing each door mm-hmm. and you hear what's going on in each door. So, like, at first, it's, like, a couple yelling at each other, and then it stops. And then he walks past another door, and you hear a baby crying, and then it stops. And then you hear another, and it just keeps going and going and going. So, like, it's, like, this connectivity. Like, it's these people so close together, yet so far apart that I really like. And it also hones in at the end, where the critic dies. Um, But, yeah, he gets there. He goes in the apartment, and the critic is now fascinated by him loves his work thinks it's amazing it's eternal it's eternal mainly because someone w- basically killed in the name of his art piece it's really crazy because like it almost makes it 
look like as soon as she said earlier, it's like I'm not saying that you're a fault, but the way that she's all of a sudden like interested and wants to capitalize off of this, it is a whole another kind of feeling of like oh they don't like us but they like what we make, and then bringing the conversation of how they said she. You you know that she was trying to say black people probably, but like you know she said artists and how artists kind of create gentrification instead of like you know artists being the you can say the victims of gentrification and it feels like mm, I don't I, I'm I don't not, I, I kind of feels like they're putting I don't know I, it kind of feels me, like they're like replacing you know people of color low income people black people with like artists and trying to like you know you know, make it synonymous in this case, but that's with, no, 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 I mean, no, I agree with that. I don't agree with what you said about, like, artists being the victims of gentrification. I, going back to what I was saying earlier, mm. an artist can have the right idea. In in the in the scheme of things, gentrification is technically a good idea when mm. you put it on pen and paper. The execution, though, is where it falters. Which... I think he talks about when, you know, he's kind of like, yeah, he's like, you know, bring up like these people come into town and, the, and you know, you try to bring them in. It's like, hey, the property values are low. Everything's cheap. Come in and, you know, find a place to just dump your art and, to, you know, create your space. Mm-hmm. Having those perfectly white or only white people come in and just like, you know, raise everything up and then, bam, everything else gets blown out. Yep. And... She kind of is like saying. I think she kind of is like thinks of that in a way. It was like it kind. It's kind of like a diss. I thought it was like a total diss at his uh, work. It, but it was. I mean, he's. She is not interested in the work. She's interested in the fact that people died because of his. I don't work. think. I, no, a hundred percent because death sells. I mean, murder sells. Yeah, I don't. I just don't like the fact that you like having the relevance like the coincidental relevance of the fact that his people got his people that people got killed in front of his work it you think that we know correlation because he's like why is this not you know be done being done away but like it feels like they're using those deaths as kind of a a statement Mm -hmm. and i hate the i just hate the modeling of it because it it goes to show how society just you know, uses death and uses like compact, like like the concept of compassion in the form of like you know people dying and having eliciting those emotions from people dying yep. to sell a work or to you know get a gain a get way money up yep. now and not just really financially. You can tell even though she's already high up that she's trying to get more clout. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. But I mean, think about it when there are thousands upon thousands of different true crime dramas, uh, true crime reenactments. I mean, hell, you could literally watch cops do their thing for 24 hours on a show. Uh, there's a hundreds upon hundreds of serial killer documentaries. Death and murderers sell. And that's what she knows. She hated his art. Did not like it whatsoever. People died because of it, quote unquote, because of it. Now she likes it. Now she wants to write a piece on it. And he even calls her out on that bullshit, mm-hmm. which I really liked. And he was like, if you really do appreciate my art, you'll say it. She's like, say what? You'll say Candyman. 
and she goes to the bathroom and we get a really cool scene where he i think he hears buzzing i'm not 100 percent sure how he gets to the mirror but he gets to a mirror where there's uh he turns around and he sees sherman but sherman is basically his reflection every little movement that he does sherman's doing it with him and even the hand that's fucked up, the hand that uh, got the bee sting that's constantly growing into the, the deformity that it is, mm-hmm. is the same hand that Sherman has as the hook. So, my God. Dude's going crazy. I mean, at this point, he, he knows he's going crazy. Um, a critic walks out after it. She doesn't it doesn't show, but it, it shows that she's about to say Candyman or at least thinking about it. And then you see Sherman in the background. As Tony's all like, I, Tony like he has to leave. Yeah, uh, honestly, I don't blame him. He, I'll freak out too. Oh, but, you know, he's got the dinner. He's got to go to. Yeah, he also has that, <laughs> but it's like you can tell that like he was free, starting to freak out because of the fact that he literally what felt like he was Sherman, mm-hmm. and seeing Sherman behind the critic, you know, just kind of like leaning in and leaning back out the door, and then this leads to. I wish you would have saw it like close up, but I understand no, why they did it. I, I understand love why this they did shot. it. But I love it so much. But, where they do the outside shot of him leaving the door and it's the outside of the building and you mm-hmm. see you see her, her apartment's in the focus and it's it's the, it's the nice orange and lit light. Night mm-hmm. uh, nice and lit up where everyone else has like blue or green light here and there. But you can see what everyone's doing. Like there's one guy watching TV, there's another family having a nice little dinner, you know, shit like that. Again, showing like the connectivity, but not really there. Because they're so close, yet this woman is literally getting thrown against the glass, dragged and and cut up, dying, and everyone's just minding their own business. So close, yet so separated. Loved it. Oh, wait. No, I think it was the the buzzing. I think he was putting out a scab, and, like, it was needed to go to the bathroom himself because, like, he was pulling on a scab. Uh, Which is gross. God. But he (laughs) pulls on a scab more. And they cause it to him sca- pulling on a scab at the dinner, and yeah, he, Rando, he's, he's at the he's at the dinner now. And his Rando's like, "Careful, stop that! You can infect it." And I'm like, "You're not wrong. You're not wrong. He really does need to like get that checked out." But like, also, who the fuck are you? <laughs> but and uh, Brianna's talking to this one famous uh, curator and another curator who is slowly becoming famous and revitalizing a museum in the Chicago area mm-hmm. and someone that Brianna obviously looks up to and is inspired by, which makes one of the next scenes kind of sad, in my opinion. But they're basically she's talking to Brianna about furthering her career maybe possibly moving to new york maybe possibly taking a job at the museum branching off doing her own thing kind of hearkening towards what you were saying about maybe anthony's holding her back a little bit that Mm -hmm. she would be better off alone on on her own or you know not under someone who literally had to die for her to get noticed (laughs) i won't say literally had to die for her to get noticed for her to be free in the words of the uh the, the little old critic yeah I think Clive was actually kind of holding her back as well, because you know it feels like yeah, while she was working at the museum, he was the the, the creative director, owner of that museum. Mm-hmm. So it was like 
it feels like her work is being basically on the cusp of like blown up with Anthony's work kind of like rising up and you know in notoriety because of the well sort of happenstance that happens. Not, I wouldn't say notoriety and and infamy. In yeah, I in mean because the only reason it's blowing up is because people keep dying. Because even at this dinner scene, at the end of it, after we get a little conversation with Brianna and uh, the other character, everyone else, re- everyone's phones go off and they find out that the critic died. And, and I, her husband is the uh, is the main prom suspect. Yeah, even though he didn't tell Brianna, he didn't tell anyone where he was going. So he's in the clear for that. Mm-hmm. But I do like how he's just like, I, I gotta go and walks away. And she's just like, Anthony, like, did you do that? Like the the delivery she gave was just like a mom getting onto her son. Like Anthony, what have you done? done. <laughs> and it's like, I think honestly, the guilt, like basically the whole guilty dark barks first thing. It, it kind of gives that off that vibe. Oh, a hundred percent. Because like, if he wouldn't have like, if he wouldn't have walked off, like, well, like stormed off, like when he did. No, there's no suspicion would have been cast on him. Well, I think, um, I think he had suspicion, like, he had suspicion, but he also had doubt. Because again, he saw Sherman behind mm-hmm. her. He saw Candyman behind her. But now that she's dead, he knows this is real. That he's not just hallucinating, that it's real. Mm-hmm. And he even gets it confirmed by, uh, Burke that after he, he goes back to Burke. He's like, I need to know the full story of Candyman. Tell me everything. Mm-hmm. And this is where we get the reveal of the paintings that Brianna, uh, or that, um, uh, Anthony's been doing. Brianna comes home and sees all the paintings. And what he's painting is all the different faces of Candyman the before he even knew any he knew the uh-huh. Sherman one that's all he knew was Sherman and that was because of Burke but then Burke tells him you know the guy before him got run down by the cops you had another guy that got lynched in the 20s then you got the original guy uh, the, Tony Todd played him I can't think of his name right now but the artist mm-hmm. um, the artist that fell in love with the uh, governor's governor's daughter yeah and then gets uh basically just all the way fucked up and telling about all these brutal ways that he was killed yeah and they, my god they ran him down cut beat off him cut hook. off his hand shoved a uh, rusty hook in the nub uh tied him to a tree smeared honeycombs on him so to let the bees sting him, him and, and then, then lit him on fire and Damn, that no, I would be like the I would like if I died. I was like, baby, my spirit is haunting every every person up in this bitch. Right, like, I am haunting every single one of y'all motherfuckers. And so Brianna finds the paintings, and she's concerned because she's already had her father, who was a uh, troubled artist, mm-hmm. uh, essentially kill himself. Like he he jumped out the window when she was a child in right front in of her, front of her. So she's, and this is another reason why I think she really does love Anthony. Like, even though other people are kind of giving her the idea that he's holding her back, she really, truly loves him because she sees what's going on, what's going, what's going on with him. And you can see a lot of her father. 
and I, him possibly. Yeah, and I think at this point she's like, you know, I couldn't help my dad, but I can help you kind of thing is what she's trying to go at. Mm. It's not until, you know, because he's convinced Candyman's real. And she's like, well, I can prove to you he's not real. And she goes to say Candyman in the mirror. And he's, he saves her by throwing something at the mirror, breaking it, and just starts breaking mirrors. But it comes off as like, oh, you're about to, be, you're like a fucking brute. You've gone crazy. You might hurt me. Yeah. And, and so she leaves. She goes to her brother Troy's uh, And then all, this shows how much that Troy, I don't think, really cared too much about Anthony. When he basically going off about like how much of a fee five fo fum orc ass motherfucker. Well, like he, I think that's just being a brother. That's all, like I honestly feel like, like he may have felt that way initially, but I think that's like a brother. Like you could, you could really, you could just, like have a strong mm-hmm. relationship with someone. The moment they fuck with your sibling, done. All connections cut. Fuck that dude. So I, I, I get I just, it. I just get it. I, just I do it get it. That. And and then they kind of uh this is the word of parallels with the father with her father come in as well mm-hmm. because you know talk about how um the mo- the their mom wants to sell off the storage unit with all her father's works and i understand not really wanting to have to be reminded of you know the fact that you couldn't really save your father even though you were basically what, what the fuck could you do and but Troy brings up the well, another kind of in your face message about burying the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't you can't run away from the past. You can't keep burying it. Is exactly what he says. Another um, Jordan Peelism from last time. <laughs> but it you know again it it is on the nose. But I've I've grown to be okay with it. It it, it works. I think it just works. It's like sometimes you need to hear it. Yeah, I feel like you need to hear these messages before it sinks in and i think that's kind of what it is it also kind of like brings to show that other scene with her going into new york and talking to the other curator about she doesn't go to new york she goes to the museum i mean to the, i'm not in new york i'm sorry dude. yeah goes into the museum and talks with the curator and she, all she does is get reminded of her father and no, her okay work. this is what i wanted to say uh-huh. because um she looks up to this person. Yeah. You can clearly see she looks up to this person. Yeah. This person breaks her heart, and you can tell, because I mean, Nia DaCosta cuts out the other person as she's saying this, mm-hmm. and all you do is focus on uh, Brianna, and and that's it. Just her raw emotions of receiving what a person that she looks up to is telling her, and basically she's talking about Anthony. She's talking about the death surrounding Anthony's work. She's talking about her father, his tragic death, his work that's never been revealed, and, and how she how... has an amazing story. And the tragic. Mm. And that was a very tragic, amazing story. So it was like... But it, it hurts me so bad because it's almost like it's almost like Brianna has nothing to give. It's like she no matter how hard she worked to bring a name of to herself as a curator of as a curator herself without any kind of legacy involved what the only person that she looks up to is interested in is her story her her father her her boyfriend her, her his his art the tragedy that's going around his art it's just sad. It's just sad to have someone you look up to only be interested in superficial things that you yourself don't bring to the table 
you're it's it's someone basically what this person is saying is i like what other people are doing i like the fact that you're showing me other people's stuff you're I mean, not doing a good job but you know I'm they're not, doing a good job and i thank you for showing me that i don't think she said that she's doing a good job but no, i mean it she comes is. On, it comes off as that because of the happenstance of everything going on but no it's it's which... from, it's also from the the camera work and, mm. and 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 everything it's that's the emotion you're supposed to feel is she doesn't care about brianna she mm. only cares about the story that brianna brings okay. and that is so sad that okay yeah i can get that yeah oh, yeah it's, it, it's heartbreaking because i mean really by cutting that person off and only hearing the dialogue you really get to be in Brianna's shoes and get that sinking feeling that she has hearing that. And we get the high school girl death that everyone's seen in the trailer. So there's not Wait, that really... was in the trailer? Yeah. I honestly didn't I have not I didn't see the trailer. Oh, that was the first trailer that came out. Oh my god. They 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 did not give a fuck about that, those white girls. <laughs> but well funny part is also that the eight okay, the person of color, the one person of color that was doing it, she said fuck this yeah they said Candyman like three times Nine. and like one of the windows opened and she said nope 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 and fuck that it's a, <laughs> that's not natural it's a different shift from get out i think that was like a call a reverse callback from get out when the, I, I mean uh, I asian do. man was in there with the end of shits and now she's and uh, asian girl's like fuck that but shit. no i i do like this movie where like anything a white person would do it, it it's not done like at all because there's even a moment in the end of the film where Brianna like opens the door to like a, a scary basement and then she just shuts the door like <laughs> it's, it's expectation subversion that I fucking love I love it I love it um Man. so yeah the, the the high school girls die no need to talk about it because everyone's seen it, it it's in the fucking trailer um which moves on to more of well, uh, Anthony wants to, has to go see Burke, like he has to go see Burke at this moment, and uh, and Burke basically kind of kidnaps Anthony. But before then, though, it's not really shown. But, but he like, goes to the hospital, though, doesn't he? Oh yeah, he goes to the hospital. Like, and he sees goes his to the mom. hospital and sees his mom, which yeah, is very I guess, important. I guess it, I oh guess my that god. Is it's important because it's Vanessa L. Williams, who is Anne Marie from the uh, original movie, who so still look- looks fantastic. Right? I'm sorry. When you're her age and you look younger than a, a man in his twenties, mm-hmm. damn. I was about to say, like, you, you don't you, that all of those parts, like, they may not be important to like the grand scheme of things, but I know this one is imp- this lore. one is important because it establishes that uh, Anthony the- is from uh, Cabrini. Uh, Cabrini Green, mm-hmm. and he's actually the baby from the first movie, which kind of mind blowing for me the first time I saw it because the baby was a big fucking deal in the first movie. There's a big fucking deal. Like his sacrifice was going to be a huge thing for Candyman. And then like having hearing all this subversion and then seeing the scar that it, it's all the way up to his fucking neck at this point. No, but seeing the, the mom scar. The 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 mother yeah, Anne Marie, she has a scar. Yeah. That uh correlates to, you know, the first movie as well, which I thought was a great callback and a great like continuation of what's going on. So it kind of makes this less. It makes this film as a whole 
much less of a sequel, more so of like is is like a continuation. It's like it's just it's a sequel. Like you can count, you can cancel the other two. So I'm yeah, Day of the Dead and whatever the fuck the third one is. I was thinking more even... so it count it counts as like this is Halloween and this is uh this is nineteen seventy four Halloween and this is like twenty eighteen Halloween. Those That's kind of. I, I don't know. I, I I hate that it doesn't give sequel, but it gives like some sequel, but more so like retelling, but also like it's there, a continuation a, of it, that story. It, yeah. It's a sequel, <laughs> but I guess it just doesn't give me sequel vibes. I guess because that's I guess that's kind of the feeling. I don't get a sequel vibe from this, even though it's like it kind of at all intent and purposes is a sequel. It doesn't really give sequel vibes. I guess that's where I'm coming at with that. But it does give some of the best acting in the film as well because Miss Vanessa L. Williams can act her ass off. Yes, she can. Like even with doing nothing much at all, you can tell the how much she out the pain, the Mm -hmm. like the emotional pain from having to shield her son from this. But you know the reasons why are very very fucking valid. And that's probably why she wanted to like see him and kept calling him and stuff like that is because she watches the news, she sees what's going on, she sees what he's doing, and like even from then, from before, it feels like there's a reason why he was just kind of like avoiding her because it feels like something may have been off, but like it comes more apparent that something's off whenever they actually go you know go to it, and I really did like the fact that it was, like. Because he's kind of like so small, like he he's like very small when they uh, have him coming in, and it just feels that feeling of smallness that like that like he feels like diminished even more so the more he hears about it, and basically like now it's like oh, well fuck I'm some part of some kind of fucking prophecy now like that really sucks it's like it's like a subversion of the chosen child, the chosen one stereotype that is like bitch. Who the fuck is out here actively wanting to be the chosen one? Well, yeah. like, bitch, I'm gonna die. Like, I don't <laughs> think he comes off as him dying, but it's like, bitch, I'm feel like I'm about to die. Yeah, and that's, that really sucks. Yeah, and that's where he gets kidnapped by Bert shortly after that. Mm-hmm. And Brianna shows up to the apartment to get her stuff along with Troy. But I love, <laughs> I love Troy. Troy's amazing, but uh, Anthony's not there. And that leaves Rihanna a little worried because, again, she loves him. I don't know. Even, their chemistry is so good together. Even though, like, They're like, so cuck- cute together. That even though he's a little bit cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, there's still there's Anthony in there somewhere. Yeah, so and... she, she calls around. No one knows where he is. And she's like kind of racking her head where he might be. And that's when she realizes that the pen she's been using is from Burke. Burke's laundry. And she's like, okay, he mentioned Burke before. I'm going to go see if he's there. And yeah, he's there, all right. And Bert kidnaps her. Uh, uh, <laughs> and then we go into the third act because, like, that you can tell that was the third act right there. That was the third as act, man. I hate Bert's plan. <laughs> I hate that he became the twist villain so much. Oh, you. So this is the moment we've been waiting on. This is the moment I've been waiting on. I hate... Because they could have done it without him being the twist villain. Everything they accomplished at the end of the film, they could have done without him being the twist villain. I get it. 
I, I get he wants to revitalize Candyman. He wants to bring his history back. He wants to because the whole idea is that they're bulldozing and getting rid of the Candyman mythos. Therefore, they're getting rid of Cabrini Green. He doesn't want that. So he's trying to recreate the Candyman mythos using Anthony. I get it. I hate it so much because like they, they could have done this easily anthony was already fucking doing it <laughs> they didn't need bert could have been such a cool old wise man that like tries to help uh brianna at the end and gets like a noble death they could have made him such a, a good protagonist character instead they made him this crazy little psychopath at the end and i hate it so much honestly like does, does it really surprise you though that they did that because the way that they hammered in the connection to Candyman that he has, I thought like it, that that it was like expected. No, I thought he was going to try and kill Candyman. Like he could see Anthony turning into Candyman and wanted to eradicate it. Now what know, I was hoping for, baby, at you least. You know, this is a Jordan. This is a Nita Costa Jordan Peele production. You know damn well that was not gonna happen. I really wish he would have tried or something it, other than it, being the twist villain. It probably would have happened if it wasn't for the fact that Jordan Peele was involved in this film. I, it, I, I that's I think that's a Jordan Peeleism right there. I hate it so much. I hate it so much. Like he did not need to be the twist villain because I'm telling you, like you take that part out. You take him cutting the hand off and everything. The hand could have rotten away and fucking he puts... I don't know, Baby, something. that hand was already rotten. Exactly. But I like, it, Anthony could have transferred into Candyman, into the Candyman role so organically. But they just fucking had to make it where someone else is causing the, the protagonist to have this tragic ending. I hate I that. I just think... Hate it so much! I think it worked. I, I thought it worked because... You can tell that because of, you know, the Candyman experience that Burke had, it almost how like it models after him. It models after, you know, Sherman because he wears everything that, you know, this iteration is wearing is similar to what Sherman wore. Well, and, it's, it's the same that everyone's wearing. Tony Todd was the same. It's well, yeah, you, you have to have the same thing. Even he's saying it while he's doing it is like some things you have to keep the same, mm -hmm. like the hook the coat yeah like of course the hook is gonna be the same and yeah i just feel like it's still like widely modeled after you know what he's sherman just, was he's so. trying to bring that history back he's trying to allow that history not to die is the whole concept that i kind of get from it okay yeah i also thought that it was like i think he was there to expedite the process like he was tired like oh you get you're tired of waiting on all of this to happen organically, so I was like, "Fuck it!" I'll, he's it's kind of like a "fuck it, I do it myself" kind of thing. Oh, but I hate it so much. Mm, oh, I, I can see, I can see why you hate it. I, I can see why it works. I can see why you hate it. But it just like it just adds on to basically just like saying that, oh yeah, he just wants to be the catalyst. I would say he wants to be the catalyst. I think he wants it so badly that he was willing to just do whatever he needed to do because everything was already set in place. Everything was already everything else is already set in place. He didn't really need to do much else other than just you know put the physical manifestations of everything else on to uh, Anthony, so we can have the full have the full reveal of Anthony being Candyman. That that's just me. You know what else I hated? How stupid he was during his death. 
So he chased like okay. Brianna, no, that Brianna escapes. Brianna escapes, right? And he chases after her. Well, he he thinks he's up to her, like caught up to her, but he can't find her anywhere. And she ends up behind him, but she has a heavy like she tries to strike him with something heavy, but it's so heavy she can't lift it. And he turns around and he goes, "Ha ha!" Like literally, fucking says, "Ha ha!" And that gives her plenty of opportunity to stab him in the face. I think at that point he was already cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs because I think he already, he already got stabbed with the pin too. Yeah, well, no, have, that was the end. Like she she attacks thought, she attacks she already, him in the tunnel. He gets pin, blood. Right? Maybe I don't know, but it's not known because it's thought, dark. Because it's like it looks like he got stabbed because he already had blood coming out of he his mouth. He did have blood. Yeah, like, he, already come out of his mouth and from. But it was dark the in the like tunnel. The so spot. So I'm just assuming that. Like, she already, like, attacked him once and was all like, bitch, what the fuck? Yeah, but, I mean, literally, you have your opportunity to kill her right there. And you're just, the what you do is, aha. I just think he was cuckoo. At that point, he was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. But again, that he, makes I'm no a- sense because he wasn't cuckoo the entire movie. He just all of a sudden became cuckoo at the very final part. That's what we like to call lying <laughs> and acting. Because I, I think, I can <sighs> see it. Plain as day, I guess, because the true nature got revealed. I think his true nature got revealed right there. But and I seen... do agree that it wasn't the best form of death. Like, there was way more that he could have done to, like, if he wanted to, like, you know, to get uh, Brianna to get got. But I just. I I just thought she she went in for the kill. She's all like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I I thought it was very gratifying seeing her just repeatedly stabbing him in the face. In the face, and I thought that was great. But I hate how stupid he was to get stabbed in the face. Yeah, that was just dumb. Like you had your opportunity, man, yeah. and you just you dropped the ball. And Come on. I, <laughs> I guess the part that made it like even funnier though was the part where he's like. Where Anthony comes in, is like I think he's dead, and I, <laughs> I'm sorry. That part internally just had me like laughing. I was like, no. that no, that was another Jordan Peelism had to be because <laughs> that was a, that was a funny moment right there. Yeah. And then the funniness became immediately romantic, and then oh. He looks like he's really about to die. Well, yeah, because he falls down and she catches him. Mm. Uh, at this point, because Bert called the cops. He had that white man voice. Uh, he had a very packed. good white man voice. That white man voice down packed. He probably mm. was uh, one of the extras on um, Nice to Meet You. Yeah, he practiced. Oh, sorry, uh, sorry to bother you. Sorry to bother you. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> he practiced a lot. Um. <laughs> yeah, oh no. He was cold. He do his code switching like a no one's business. And that was funny. Uh, so anyway, um, so but yeah, the cops are there and she's yelling for help. You know, you know, come help. He's dying. Yada yada yada. Cops show up, and fucking Anthony is on the ground already. Yet, yet they still shoot him. He was on the ground already, and they shot him on the ground. And it shows the full shot after you see Brianna's reaction to it. And you see the full shot. You see fucking uh Burke on the ground dead. You see, you see what like. Very little of Anthony, thank God, but you know that he got shot up mm-hmm. from the shadow figure of the cop. I did like that. I like play. that too because the whole movie, uh, Candyman, the killer, has been the shadow figure. Like you only see him in reflections, 
now you see the cop as the killer, as that type of killer in at, only in silhouette. Mm. So I, I did like that as well, too. I think it also kind of added on to the heavy handedness of. Oh, it does. It's very. The, hand- I still like it because I liked it. But I liked it. it. It's very heavy handed, but of the theme because of the current state of everything. Like due to the current state of everything at the time this movie was filmed and released, it just like fuck. <laughs> it was just like man, this again. But yeah. it makes so much sense. It yeah. makes complete sense. And so, they take Brianna into um, the cop the car. cop car. And after discussing with the uh, either the sergeant or the lead detective, the lead detective who's basically trying to pin her. Yeah, well, he gets he gets in the car, mm-hmm. and I watch a lot of audit videos, so I know for a fact that shit like this happens. So I've seen it happen in quite a few body cam videos where you can see one thing happening clear as fucking day on the body cam. Yet when the sergeant gets involved, that cop who caused the incident will have a different story. He will swing it in a way where he did the right thing. I've seen quite a few of those fucking videos. So I people will probably watch this movie and go, okay, that's a little far-fetched. It may be a little, like a tad bit over the top, but shit like this does fucking happen. This so, made this whole whole last scene gratifying. Like oh, God, yes. So the uh, the detective or the sergeant gets in the car looks at her and and says, man, it's a shame what happened to your boyfriend. I mean, he he killed that one guy and then lunged after the uh, the uh, deputy like that. I, I can't believe it. And she's like, are you serious? That is not what happened. I mean, like, she doesn't speak, which I'm so proud of she, her. She, Hold like, it, holding her right uh, to remain silent. So fucking proud of that. Um, but And he's like, I mean, that is one story that happened. I heard another one where you were his accomplice. So what's it going to be? <laughs> it's like, dude, you piece of fucking shit. Oh, my God. I'm so glad that she's like, hey, tell you what. I'll say anything you want me to say. Just let me look at myself in the mirror. He's like, okay, weird, but all right. And then she finally, we finally get the the thing that we all been waiting for this whole movie. We have Bree playing the game, saying Candyman five times. Candyman. We're not doing this. Candyman. I hate you. Anyway. Candyman. Oh, I hate you so fucking much. We're not. Remember what Troy said. <laughs> black people don't summon shit, and we're not about to start today. We're not about to fucking do this, sir. No, like we're not about to fucking do this. N- not no, 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 no. Anyway, old boy comes out and like basically makes a fucking confetti, blood splattering mess out of everything, and we have the best, best best final scene i think was really good where you shows the different forms of uh candyman as he recites this very nice little monologue it's, it's the same quote from the first movie uh, which i love so much uh and it's like a distorted it's i want to say it's tony todd and uh, uh and yaya uh, at the same time at the same time because it's very distorted mm-hmm. you can hear yaya and you can hear tony and so i think they overlapped it is what i i'm assuming 
because it just oh, it sounds so cool. And it just adds on to the blending. I am the of, writing on the wall. It's like goes into the blending, the fusion of you know Tony Todd's iteration and Yaya's iteration, and just in a great way possible. And then you know you get she inexplicably gets out the car. And yeah, the, the door opens. The door opens, yeah. Because it, it, it doesn't open from the inside. Like, even if she was uncuffed and she could reach, mm. it doesn't open from the inside. That's not how cop cars work. So someone or something mm-hmm. opened the door for her to escape. I say inexplicably. And uh, she runs over to the final detective because all the other cops are dead. That final detective is being held up against the wall and gutted by Candyman. And he turns around. And it's Tony fucking Todd. de looks really wonky. I'm not even going to lie. It's the one part of the movie that kind of threw me off a little bit as far as the visuals go. Because that de-aging is very... Ugh. But it's just cool to have Tony Todd back. And he says, tell everyone. And then all you see is Brianna just con- like con- contemplating, reflecting. As reacting, the cops show up. As the cops show up. And then we get Candyman. And then it pulls back to see the shadow work of the origins of every single Candyman known to man. Which that origami shadow work was really cool. Was, I love that so much. It was a very good way to differentiate from almost every other movie because it's a great art. It was a great artistic choice. To differentiate itself from not only the previous uh, Candyman, but also like every other horror film, yeah, because it gives it a a whole movie and also like a very art house kind of feel. It reminds me of the Babadook a little bit, only mm. because of the cardboard cutouts. Um, but where you only get a little bit of that book itself, you get like a full cinematic experience with these little cutouts. So I mm-hmm. really appreciate that. Um, there is an alternate ending that they did not use that me and you watched. I was wondering, I was thinking in my head, is like, where were they going to place it? Because this one is kind of more of a fulfilling kind of deal. They could have, they, what they could have done is like kind of panned out on her, like uh, where she's contemplating. They could have panned out on that just a little bit longer and then cut to this like a couple weeks later or some mm-hmm. shit like that. Um, I I feel like with everything going on, I feel like that it would have been weirder. Oh yeah, no, of the fact that like, oh, where was the part where she was like getting booked and all of that? Because you know they're gonna yeah, arrest her. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Because dash cam. I mean, you're literally those cameras are just gonna see cops inexplicably dying right in front of the fucking vehicle, and then her walking in front of the vehicle. Oh, out of out of camera sight. Out of, yeah. So it, it, it's gonna be. They're, they're, they're gonna sit there and go, okay, no, I don't know how you did it, but you did it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's kind of why I was like, I don't know where they could have placed that alternate ending. But yeah, I it, think that's probably ultimately why they didn't use it. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of a sweet ending where she shows uh, Anthony's artwork. It feels more romantic. It uh, it, it's fulfilling, like you mm-hmm. said. It's it, very fulfilling. It feel- feels more and, fulfilling and kind of more like it, it leaves a little bit on more of the open-ended thing 
Well, in the theatrical ending, they leave it to where the the legend is back, and they can easily make a sequel, or, mm. or they can easily just keep going on with the story. Where the other one was more like a self-contained ending, where this is this is it, this is the movie. You know, I kind of wish they would have kept the self-contained ending because I feel like, but it's like, just too many questions, though. I mean, even you said there's just like she got booked. She, you there, know, she she would have gotten arrested. Yeah, I thought there's just so much that could have gotten they, that they could have, you know, talked about more that can be explained upon, especially with the more expanded uh world of Candyman. Mm-hmm. Even if it's through you know Anthony's eyes or through the eyes of like the other uh Candyman mm-hmm. before, uh there's a lot that could have been done with it. I feel. But I I like that this is back to being an urban legend. Like, it exists now. It's, you know, again, murder sells, so cops or uh, news outlets are going to talk about this for ages. Mm-hmm. So it's going to spread across the country. So they can easily do another sequel to this where Candyman basically has gone nationwide. Like, and especially with the advent of the internet, you know, yeah, it can really go much go international instead of just like being you know kept to just cabrini green yeah so i don't know i kind of like i i much prefer the theatrical ending i think the alternate ending sweet i think it's very sweet like honestly like having people look at his art and there's no dialogue whatsoever it's just you know you, you got the somber music playing in the background and it's just people appreciating his art for, for what like, it is, for what it is mm-hmm. rather than judging like we saw the first time and um, with I, the, I, um, I think added aspect of like since he's not there to really defend himself it gives more of a tribute which kind of um you know lightens the load you can say of emotional like you know burdens when it comes to that kind of stuff because if you're looking at someone's work that they recently passed you're kind of more likely to, you know, look into the good of it, especially mm-hmm. if it's like, you know, someone that, you know, was on just rising up, just starting, was had their, you know, career tragically cut short. He kind of looks at more fondly. So I think that alternate ending would have uh, preyed on that a little bit more. Yeah, like I said, it's very sweet. It is, it is very, very sweet. Um, mm-hmm. But I think in the context of this self-contained story that it is, uh, the theatrical ending is the better one. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that is Candyman. Candyman. Uh, 2021, Nia DaCosta film. What, Jay? Um, I guess my final thoughts on this is that uh, it's a very sol- solid film. The It feels like it's more culturally relevant now than it was and then that was probably back then and i feel just i just feel like it was uh i guess a relevant film and it was needed for black um horror icons to you know reign supreme again i don't say reign supreme i love to reign supreme but you know to be back in a consciousness this is a very important film for the genre and its impact so I'm giving this a solid about three out of three and a half out of five. Really? Yeah, because there, you can tell that there was uh, a bit of problems with it, but the problems that I have with it honestly kind of got alleviated by the fact that um, the great acting and the cultural impact of this film of Candyman in general 
um, it kind of makes up for it. So yeah. that's why I give it a solid three and a half. I am going to like just praise the acting because I really do think the acting was well done. Other than the high school scene, but you know whatever. I don't care. I, I don't think the acting was that bad. It was not. That. It wasn't that bad. It was more so like as compared to everything else, it just kind of pales. But it it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things because everyone else did amazing. With yeah. especially with Tony Todd reprising his role and Vanessa L. Williams reprising hers and having a good addition to the uh, mythos in the form of Bree and you know uh, Anthony. Yeah, it's I don't know. To me, it's a little weird that you ranked it that low. Because uh, honestly, like I thought you liked it more than me. Oh, I do. I liked it a lot. And See, I but I'm still it, like it a lot. I'm giving it a four. I really think a. I love the first one. The first one is up there with one of my favorite horror movies of all time. It's a classic, in my opinion. It's it's a five stars hand down. So I really like Candyman Mythos as a as a whole. Nia DaCosta really makes this movie for me. Because, again, I did have problems with the heavy-handedness at first. I still have a few grievances, but it's not nearly as bad. And I fucking hate Burke. I, I hate the whole idea of Burke at the end, honestly. Um, but the directing, the visuals, and uh, the acting, like you said, the acting, and just the overall tone of the film, the way things are done, the the kills and everything, I very, very solid little film. I'm definitely giving it four stars. I do think the kills are on Halloween level. There's not that many No, they're of them. better than Halloween. Uh, I think they're, like, Halloween. Icon- icon- I mean, iconicness. I, I guess, because Halloween is more just, like, brute force, like this force of nature you can't stop mm. destroying you. But in physical form, where this has like this creepy, almost Freddy Krueger, Nightmare on Elm Street vibes, where you can't yeah. physically stop it. Like, yeah, you're, right. it's your own fault that this is happening to you because either, you know, in Nightmare on Elm Street, you fell asleep. This one, you invoke the curse of Candyman and the way Nia DaCosta visualize it with shadows and uh, reflections and shit like that is just mwah, so good. So I I would much rather I would much rather cool um visual kills than a force of fucking nature <laughs> brutalizing you. Okay, yeah, when it comes to similar styles, yeah, I agree with that with um uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. But I just think it's like these kills feel like they feel like I I feel like they are just an iconic in a way that Get Out feels iconic in the way it's like oh, these deaths are gonna go in, like, you know, the top 10 greatest, you know, horror deaths of all time. That's kind of how I feel about it. It It's like, especially with the critic's death and the Clive's death, I really think no, I shall lie. I think I like the high school children's deaths more, even though you don't really see it as much. I like those deaths more because of the way they were shot. So but I, I, I like, like I like that. I like the fact that you don't actually see a lot of it because it leaves it up to your imagination. How and brutal that's, it can be. Your imagination will always be better than seeing something. Um, that's the interpretation you were wanting. <laughs> that, was yeah. the, that was the leaving up to interpretation you were wanting. <laughs> Not the themes, but the kills. All right. So before we move on, that that's that's the end. We this capped is... off uh, Black Director Month. And 
Wow, we finished another month. We, yeah, this is two months down, down, down the drain. Um, how do you feel? I feel really good. I feel really good. Um, before we move on, before we get to all of this, I wanted to ask, but same thing we did last month. How would you rank these four films? Worst. I hate to say worst, best, but like you're, like you, you know what I mean. Like, like from the bottom Um, to the top. Okay, so I don't know, man. I think I'm gonna rate it as this, just for the sole fact of like there was more surprises than I think. There were more hidden gems. Mm -hmm. So Get Out is gonna be my number four. What? All the way down? All the way down because it's Get Out. Mm-hmm. I think for the soul fact that it's just Get Out. Like, I don't need to. I, I really don't need to, like, you know, rate it, whatever. But if right now, just like how it feels. So, Get Out is number four. Bones is number three. Candyman is number two. Wow. And Death by Temptation is number one. Wow. But I really think I like Death by Temptation. I, it grew on me. Yeah. Because it's like all of these all of the other films are major motion pictures. Yeah. That, you know, were made on a ho- made via Hollywood. Death by Temptation was a passion project that took, you know, one man's like thought processes and just went with it. And you can tell that it was like, you know, a lot of it probably was self-financed or financed through, you know, other means outside of Hollywood. As with these three, these are have Hollywood written on them, all over them. So uh, with that in mind, and the fact that like just Ernest Dickerson is just a great, great great everything else yeah i i I need more movies by him i don't like the fact that i did put bones at three because that's his baby direction wise but i really do think his cinematography in the butt temptation just knocks it out the park and even with all the visuals and like nuances of every other film that we've seen this month they've been amazing and very much so like great in his own way and unique in their own way i think death by temptation surprised me with how intrinsically unique its premise and the production and everything how it came together is so that's why it puts me at puts that at number one wow i'm extremely shocked um mainly because my list is yours flipped upside down yeah, no, complete opposite of yours. Okay, so it goes Death by Temptation, then it goes Candyman, which I know I ranked Candyman as far as like stars more than Bones, but I am definitely going to be watching Bones a lot because I really enjoyed that one. So it, Death by Temptation, Candyman, Bones, get out. I respect that. I oh, I feel like they can't really be ranked like like that like that they all bring something different to the table oh yeah and like i said in the beginning of this episode and last week's episode i really do feel like um there's so there's so many 
ideals that can come from black horror directors that explains like you know black experiences in forms of horror but yet there's so little behind and in front of the camera when it comes to black horror that all of it is seems is that all of it's one degree or two degrees of separation away from each other and like i said all of these films have something connecting either each one to each other whether it's like you know a get out in Candyman or Death by Temptation of Bones. There's always something connecting them that, you know, some films can have completely different people working on it than others. Like, there's not really much, you know, overlap in these other kinds of movies as compared to the huge amounts of overlap with these films. Yeah. So, that's kind of how I feel about it. And, you know, like, in the comments like in the comments just i kind of want everyone's opinion about like what they think of all of this like and the nuances of like you know black filmmaking in terms of horror and i think it's a great conversation that can can be had and a great um you know conversation starter and you know it can lead into other you know marginalized voices in film especially in horror mm-hmm. and yeah so what you think um yeah everything you said i have no <laughs> thoughts like mine mine's solely just based off personal opinion like it again i'm not a critic i just it's my personal opinion like death by temptation i thought was gorgeously shot i love the way it looks i i genuinely do mm. And I I love like the campy kind of seventies black exploitation feel that it gives, but I just think the other ones are a little bit better. I, I think the directing and visual style and the kills of Candyman's better than Death by Temptation. I think Bones is a lot more fun than Candyman, and I, I just think Get Out's a fucking masterpiece. So yeah, like there there's nothing I I can't fault Get Out. Like there's hardly anything wrong with it. If yeah, there is I anything. can't. I'm not gonna fault it. This is based off like I feel like just getting the ultimate nuances. I guess yeah. also my personal opinion, but. Like I said, I'm a sucker for passion projects, mm-hmm. and <laughs> yeah, I kinda, mean, yeah, everybody has the right to be wrong, so everyone's got their own opinion. You just call me wrong. I I still called myself wrong. Okay, okay. But <laughs> this li- will lead into our, our next month, our third month in this thing. Holy Jay, we're on three months. We're on mo- man, this is crazy. We're on month three of as of recording we are reaching about 600 over 600 views and it's really cool just to see i don't know what got our 13 ghost videos to just get locked into the uh to the algorithm but that video has been blowing up followed by woman in black and i'm just excited for what our well, other videos is gonna just gonna get uh you know blown into the ether and just in, get circulated about algorithm yeah um so, so but yeah we're moving on to month three which uh in honor of women pride history. Month, yeah women pride month I, that women uh, is women's history month baby it's women's history yeah month. women's history women pride women's history you can be proud you can be proudful to be a woman you're right you're right so we're going to have awesome female-led movies 
female directed. Female directed. Every every movie that we will be discussing next month will be directed by a uh, we'll directed by a, woman. by a woman. Woo! So until then, I'm so happy for this to just have this ball rolling. Yeah, and I am happy for everyone. For I'm thankful for everyone listening in tuning in each week to hear us bumble on for hours and hours about you know horror movies and stuff and you know for all the people that follow us on our social medias all the people that listen on spotify or apple Podcasts or google Podcasts, i am once again truly truly thankful for y'all oh yeah keep on with this oh yeah and if you like what you're hearing please if you're on youtube hit that subscribe button hit the bell notification we have videos of our entire host of horror playlist. We also have a bunch of parking lot reviews where me and Jay watch a bunch of stuff and just give our little thoughts real fast. And like he said, we're on Apple. We're on Spotify. We're on something called Stitcher. <laughs> <laughs> we have all the social medias. You cannot miss us. Please check us out. Except for TikTok. Except for TikTok because fuck TikTok. <laughs> that, that's too young for me. Way too young for me. I thought Twitter was young for me, and now they have a TikTok. <laughs> I miss Vine! <laughs> but yeah, so join us next week as we will be discussing A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. It is a Iranian film directed by Anna Lily Amarpour? Amarpour? I'm going to say Amarpour. So, yeah, join us next week, and until then... I have been Heath. And I have been James. You have been listening to Host, Host of, of Horrors. Happy Black History Month, y'all. Woo!